Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. So, story of a pastor who receives a call to a new church, huge church. And he walks in, he's, he walks in on Monday morning, the first week, he's, he's going to preach his first sermon the following Sunday, and he walks into this sanctuary, and it's, it's magnificent sanctuary. And, he, and he, as he's looking at the, at the front part of the sanctuary, it's, it's, it's out of balance. There's... Everything is over here on this side, all bunched up together, and there's wide open spaces over here. And he says to himself, you know what? That piano really belongs over here. And, and so he called the custodial staff in and he says, I need you to move the piano over here. And so they moved the piano over here. And he's looking at the sanctuary and he's going, oh, yes. A much, much better balance. He comes in that first Sunday. He's so excited to be preaching his first sermon in his new congregation. And the congregation is stone cold. I mean, they don't give him a smile. They don't give him a nod. He preaches his sermon. He's not quite sure what's going on. He finishes the sermon. He walks out to the end. The first person that comes out says, who told you you could move the piano? Within a month, he was looking for another job. Five years later, they hired another pastor. Five years later, he came back and he went into the sanctuary just to take a look. And the piano was back over here. And he went, to the, he went to the pastor that had replaced him and he said, how did you do that? I got fired for that. And the pastor that replaced him said, I moved that piano one inch every week. <laughs> Sometimes... We get so comfortable with our lives that any kind of change, regardless of what it is, can be a little unsettling. We grow accustomed to the way things are. And anytime something threatens to change that routine or that environment... We tend to balk. People that come in and try to bring change or even awareness are often viewed as disruptors. And I would submit to you that the greatest disruptor of all time was Jesus. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would ask you to open them to the second chapter of the Gospel of John. As Jesus begins his, uh, his earthly ministry, uh, we looked last week at 
his first miracle. And what does he do? He changes water into wine. And we talked about that last week. The, the stone jars that were there that were filled with water, water that was used for ceremonial cleaning. You know, water, no purification, no purification. No restoration of relationships with God. No restoration of that relationship with God. No glory for Israel. This had become their routine. And it was reflective of, of how they lived out their faith. In terms of working to make sure that the outside looks good while the inside is rotting away. The entire uh, uh, sacrificial system designed, I believe, to help a worshiper understand that sin has consequences had simply become routine. And at just the right time, the disruptor, Jesus, comes on the scene. And his first miracle to take that which was seen as something that aided in purification was transformed into a foreshadowing of a sacrament that Jesus would introduce. This wine, this cup, a new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. So we continue on with this narrative in chapter 2 and see if you can't see the themes that continue to carry over. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple area, both the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remember, they remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And then Jesus, then the Jews demanded of him, what signs, what miraculous signs can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're, you're, you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs 
that he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need the testimony of others about themselves, for he knew what was in them. And what does he know? But that the heart is deceitful and beyond cure. But that which is impossible for us is always possible with God. Fascinating uh, narrative here. Jesus cleansing the temple. If, uh, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is recorded, there is a, there is a, a, a recorded event of Jesus uh, doing the, exactly the same thing right before he's arrested as he enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So the question is often asked, uh, John puts it at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Did it happen once or did it happen twice? This is, a, this is a hot topic in theological circles. There's just enough difference to suggest that Jesus did it twice. But we know that shortly after he does it at the end of, the, at the end of his earthly ministry, he is arrested. It was an arrestable offense. There would have been guards to keep people from doing such things. Some would argue that he did it at the beginning of his ministry, and people were so shocked, so stunned at what he had done, that he had the audacity to go in and do such an act that they were just paralyzed. But three years later, when he does it again, they are ready for him. Did it happen once? Did it happen twice? There are, there are arguments on both sides. I don't know why it couldn't have happened twice. But I find it fascinating. And, and so the people who would argue that it only happened once would say that John, who, is the, uh, who's, who writes the, the Gospel of John, is arguably the last book to be written in our Bible. He's reading through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he's adds stuff that they don't have, and it's more thematic, uh, and he's trying, to, he's trying to prove a point and trying to help people understand who Jesus is as this radical disruptor of how we live our lives and argue it either way. I think you're on solid ground if you think there is one. I think you're on solid ground if you think there is two. But for the sake of our conversation this morning, I'm going to talk about it at the beginning of, earth, of Jesus' earthly ministry, especially in light of this coming right after Jesus turning the water into wine. What does that symbolize? We just talked about that symbolizing a new way to deal with purification. What is the purpose of the temple? Though we could talk all day long about the temple, and uh, I only have about 20 minutes. Uh, so I won't take all day long to talk about the temple. But the temple, and the temple was the place 
where all of Israel gathered to worship the Lord. In the center of the temp temple was the Holy of Holies. It was, it was uh, cordoned off by a, uh, by a curtain. Only the high priest could enter once a year for Day of Atonement. It, uh, it, that was the place where the glory of God resided. And you come to the temple to offer your sacrifices. There were three times each year where every adult male was required by the law to show up in Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. Passover was one of those times. And you offer up sacrifice to deal with sin. To deal with sin. There's that S word. We've dealt with sin, right? Jesus on the cross, sin is over. Why are we talking about sin? It doesn't matter anymore because we are forgiven. And yes, we are forgiven. But it still matters. It always matters. It always matters. And I think the, the thing that we need to be wary of is falling into the same trap of becoming so comfortable with the way things are that we fail to see the reality of how things really are in our lives. So the, 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 the Jewish people would come to Jerusalem every year, and, they would, uh, and it was a very complex system. Uh, you, 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 you had to have a, a perfect, unblemished animal. Uh, you had to pay your temple tax in a coin that was pure, and if you were traveling from uh, outside of the kingdom and it took you a few days to get there, it's easier just to purchase uh, a lamb when, once you're there to take your coins wherever you received them from and to buy the special temple coin that had a higher percentage of purity in silver so that you could use that to pay your temple tax. And it just made sense that uh, you would wait until you got to Jerusalem to do these things. I asked a question uh, yesterday morning and on, on Friday, do you think location matters in this uh, instance? Would Jesus have reacted the same way if the stands and the money changers were set up down the block from the temple? The reality is that they weren't. They were set up within the confines of the temple. They were set up in the court of the Gentiles. Think about that for a minute. The court of the Gentiles, if you were not Jewish, you could not go beyond the court of the Gentiles. But that was a place where you could come in and you could enter and you could worship the Lord without fully subscribing to all of the rules, regulations, and the laws of Judaism. What was the purpose of the nation of Israel? What was the promise that God gave to humanity back when it all began through Abraham? Do you remember God said to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a nation and you and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. Fast forward to the foot of the mountain. Moses brings the nation of Israel out of slavery to the foot of the mountain. God says, you're free to go. But if you want to stay and be in a covenant relationship with me, I will make of you a nation of priests. And we'll do some pretty cool stuff. And they decide to stay. And once they agree to enter into this covenant relationship with God, 
Then God gives them the law. Remember that grace always precedes law. But if the nation of Israel was destined to be a nation of priests, to whom would they minister? The Gentiles. They were to be a light unto the world. And so now we have this temple set up in Jerusalem, and there is this court, there is this window that we are inviting Gentiles to come in. You can come this far, no further. And we've turned it into a marketplace. We've turned it into a marketplace. I find it fascinating that as Jesus goes through and drives the animals out and overturns the money changers, the authorities who are there, they don't ask him what he thinks he's doing. They ask him, who gave you the authority to do this? Now, in my mind, that suggests that in the back of their minds, they knew what they were doing was wrong. I just don't want anybody pointing it out to me. Who gives you the authority? What miraculous signs do you give to demonstrate that you have the authority to come in here into our house and do what you did? And Jesus responds very cryptically. But for those of us who have the advantage of being able to look backward, we can see and understand what he's saying. Tear down this temple, and I will raise it in three days. <laughs> what are you talking about? This temple is 46 years in the making. It's not finished yet. And you're going to tear it down and build it in three days? And of course, he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about his body. Now, let's draw the comparisons here between brick and mortar and bone and flesh. Two temples. What is the purpose of the temple? But a place to offer sacrifice. A place to get right with God a place to deal with the sin in our lives. I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Jesus is cha changing the paradigm. He's disrupting the system. The brick and mortar temple is no longer needed because what he would do on the cross, he would do once for all. Our sins are forgiven. The fact that our sins are forgiven, we should not make the leap then to say that our sins do not matter. 
There is no more temple in Jerusalem, although my Jewish friends, when I asked, do you think there's going to be a, te a temple rebuilt? And they said, hopefully tomorrow. They long for that temple to rebuild because they are not able to deal with the issues in their lives according to their laws. My question to us, are we able to deal with the issues in our own lives according to the laws that we embrace as followers of Christ? And you say, wait a minute, pastor, we're not under law, we are under grace. And yes, I admit that, we are under grace. It is amazing grace. But let me ask you this. If Jesus were to take some cords and come into your life, into your temple, what would he drive out? You see, we become so accustomed to the way things are that we don't give it a second thought. We, we come to the point where we say, well, you know what? And there's, 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 there's all kinds of conversation today about whether or not, you know, whether or not there is sin, what it is. Is it a sickness? Is it a, is it a, is it a mistake? And yet the Bible tells us what we know in our hearts, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't get around that. We can cover it up. We can pretend it doesn't matter, but it does matter. Where is the court of the non-believers in our lives? The court of the Gentiles was a place for the non-believers to come and get close to ask questions and to seek a deeper understanding of this amazing God who covenanted with the nation of Israel. Where is the court of the Gentiles or the non-believers in our lives where people come and see how we live our lives and ask us questions about our faith? Somebody once said that what you do speaks so loudly people can't hear a word that you're saying. And people are watching. And unfortunately, you know why people are watching Christians today? So they can say, ha, that's why I'm not a Christian. Ha, you call yourselves a follower of Christ and you do fill in the blank. They're looking for excuses not to inquire more deeply about our faith. And too often we give them excuses handily. Do you know the one day that uh, restaurant servers hate the most? Sunday. Nobody wants to work on Sunday. You know why? Because the Christians that go out for brunch or lunch afterwards and are very demanding and leave very small, if any, tips. That's the truth. So we, we do this thing. Dare I say it? I, Jan laughed, so I can say it. On Fridays at 4 o'clock, we hang out at McPee's. There's a group of us that get together at McPee's at 4 o'clock, and for an hour, we do theology on tap. Y'all are welcome. 
Sometimes, or you could call it a pint with the pastor. But uh, we do theology, theology on tap. Uh, and, and sometimes there's five of us there. Sometimes there's 15 of us there. And we talk theology. And, and sometimes, I know this is hard for you to imagine, sometimes I get a little excited when I talk about theology. Uh, and, you know, people, are, people, are, people are around us who are watching us. But you know who's watching us most? Alex. You know who Alex is? Alex is the server. He, he, he's the guy that, 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 that brings my pint of Guinness. Uh, and we, we make it uh, a point to tip Alex very well. Because we are very vocal about our Christianity. And we don't sit there and agree. This isn't a, a sit around and agree with what the pastor has to say and, 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 and sit there and, and gain pearls of wisdom from, uh, uh, from the guy with no hair. No, this is a time where we challenge each other and we wrestle and we, we go back and forth and, and we actually do theology. To me, that patio at McPee's is one of the courts of the Gentiles that's in my life. What are the courts of the Gentiles in your life? And is it something that Jesus would feel comfortable pulling up a chair and saying, yeah, let me be a part of this conversation? Or would he be looking for stuff to make switches and so they could drive and clean it out. There's a wonderful little booklet. If you've, if you've never uh, read it before, I would encourage you. And there's about a dozen copies out there. It's called uh, My Heart, Christ's Home. Have, have you, have you ever, has any of you ever seen this? It's a wonderful little booklet. Then a guy invites Christ into his life, into his heart. And, and, and Jesus shows up and, and uh, is going through and helping the guy clean house. And there's one closet in his heart that's locked. And Jesus says, oh, what's in here? And the guy says, oh, you know what? Nothing. Not, you, don't need to, you don't need to worry about that. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean that closet out later. Let's, let's, let me show you the rest of the house. Let me show you what I did with the rec room. Uh, and, and Jesus says, no, I want to. How about you clean it out now? I'll help you. No, you really don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't want you to do that. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want to do that. I'm going to camp right here until we go into that closet and clean it out together. We all sin. We're just not all honest with ourselves about the sin in our lives. And, and you know what? They say you can fool some of the people all the time and you can fool all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time and you can't fool God any of the time. People see. Each and every one of us has a blind side, a blind self. People see it. And that's why it's good to have community, because the community can come alongside and help you to understand what your blind side, what your blind side is. So that you can become the person that God created you to be. You can't do it on your own. But neither can you continue to lie to yourself and to God and say that it doesn't matter. 
Are you forgiven? Yes. Am I forgiven? Yes. Is sin still in my life? Yes. Can I just leave it alone? No. Jesus is the disruptor in our lives. And he disrupts our lives because he knows that sin, unchecked, damages the core of our very being. And it damages our relationship with the Lord we say we love. I came, Jesus said, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Invite the disruptor in that you may experience that abundant life because the court of the Gentiles is watching. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. I'm not going to rearrange any furniture in the sanctuary today or tomorrow, uh, but, you know, the... You are uh, praying for uh, the pastor who will follow me, and he'll, he'll probably rearrange some stuff. Be gracious. <clears throat> but ask yourself, what needs to be rearranged in my own life? Where is Jesus at work helping you to see and understand your blind self And where is the court of the Gentiles in your life? Those are questions that we need to wrestle with and wrestle deeply as we face the reality of sin in our lives, as we thank God for the amazing grace that helps us to deal with it in his presence each and every day. That, my friends, is living in the kingdom of God together. Amen?